Welcome to episode 101 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Neumeyer. Hey, John, it's good to hear your voice, but I'm really excited that we have another person on the line with us today. That's right. Uh, with us today is our old friend, Niti Baum, and if you'd like to learn more about Niti, you can uh, check out the link to her uh, background and, and website, which you'll find on thedigitallife.com. Suffice it to say, she is an expert in uh, emerging markets and, and technology, and, and we're delighted to have her with us today on The Digital Life. Welcome, Niti. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, hello, Dirk. So today, our, our, our topic uh, is one that's near and dear to our hearts, I think, the uh, uh, mobile health sphere, and specifically how that is playing out in emerging markets uh, like Africa, which, uh, of which uh, Needy is, is very well experienced. So I, I wanted to queue up the conversation today by saying that mobile health, at least in the first world, is being depicted as something that is uh, scalable and helpful. So doctors can't necessarily scale to, you know, take care of hundreds and thousands of patients. But we're all starting to have these mobile devices in our pockets, uh, these smartphones, uh, and the rich applications that come along with them. And the uh, the premise is that when we have these these phones, we will be able to better manage our own health in conjunction with with our doctors. And this becomes even more important when you're talking about emerging markets where uh, there there might not be very easy access to healthcare. So so Niti, I, I wanted to pose the question to you. You know, how how are you seeing mobile health uh, play out uh, in in uh, your experience in the African continent? Okay, first I should say uh, I've been watching it, but I haven't yet had first-hand experience with it um, with regard to design uh, or design research. My most recent experiences have been to do with energy and with money, of course, mobile money. So it's more of as an observer, as an observer on the ground from the... Uh, infrastructural point of view, from the operating environment point of view, and also from observing uh, trends in what's going on. So as you said, when we started the conversation, uh, mobile health is seen as something that's scalable and probably affordable uh, in the developed world, which has more infrastructure, both in terms of bandwidth, connectivity, uh, affordable devices, and uh, healthcare infrastructure. What I'm seeing, and I'm speaking now from the context of the, from the context of sub-Saharan Africa, rather than broad emerging markets, which tend these days to encompass, you know, Latin America, India, Southeast Asia. So from the African context, where it's getting interesting is while wellness uh, seems to be the focus of M-Health, um, I'm, since I'm calling in from Europe, 
for example, in Europe, the emphasis is on fitness, on diet, nutrition, and of course, um, monitoring. Uh, that's particularly for those who may already have an existing disease or for the elderly. So there's a lot of uh, applications. In fact, there's going to be a European M Health Summit uh, in the middle of May in Latvia. So it's moving forward. In Africa, I'm seeing it in three broad spaces. One space is supported, meaning two of these spaces are broadly supported by the GSMA, which is the mobile uh, operator and mobile industry association, the GSM association. And their mHealth initiatives focus on a large variety of uh, elements it could include data gathering, it can include monitoring. Uh, like you said, the devices become ubiquitous. Um, penetration rates in sub-Saharan Africa are now in some countries, let's say Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, within a point or two of the penetration rate in the US, just to give you context. These are not backward countries and mobiles are definitely in everybody's hand. Uh, even smartphones and iPhones, just to give, just for a side note, uh, the numbers have it, they're reaching one third of the phones are smartphones, affordable smartphones at the sub $100 level have come in, Android phones are there, so you've got, you've got the technology, now how best can we use it is the next step. So we've got infrastructure and support services, Data and statistics, as you know, is a huge gap in Africa. So there's that whole cluster of activities. It can be things like monitoring maternal health, monitoring um, child mortality, you know. So mm -hmm. that entire space. Then there's the space of startups. So a lot of the previous stuff that I mentioned, the ones supported are what falls under M4D, Mobile for Development. So they may be donor-funded programs or they may be not-for-profit solutions or large-scale top-down uh, solutions. The next space that I'm seeing a lot of activity is the startup space. I don't know, and maybe that's a conversation for another day, but... Uh, Startups, particularly on the mobile platform, are generating like weeds, you know. Um, and the large hubs uh, for these clusters are Lagos in Nigeria. In fact, uh, Mobile West Africa just finished in uh, Lagos. Then uh, Nairobi, of course, in Kenya. Uh, South Africa has some amount of cluster and Ghana. So these are the larger, better known ones. Uh, then you've got smaller incubators and accelerators coming up in, you know, Kigali in Rwanda or Yaounde in Cameroon. So it's all over the place. The point is, there's startups happening. Some of them, you know, they may be uh, grant supported, they may not be pure uh, VC plays or pure profit plays. 
that's always the case in um, environments like this where social enterprises or the need to provide services for those without uh, is as much of a driver as uh, monetization. So uh, these two things are often held, you know, they, they're in tension. There's a couple of nice charts. If you want, I can share them with you, uh, particularly from the health uh, healthcare services angle. I don't know if it's M mobile specific, but certainly it maps out the tension between needing to do good and needing to be a sustainable business. So they're very often not uh, pure commercial enterprises. Uh, one top of mind that comes of such a startup, one example that comes to mind is Toto Health from Kenya, primarily because uh, I'm based here in Helsinki at the startup Sauna, which is the Finnish version of an incubator and accelerator for the startup ecosystem. It's out in Otanimi, uh, which is kind of where GSM and GPRS and, you know, SMS and all of those things uh, were invented. It's uh, closest would be, it's the, the cl it's the closest thing we've got to kind of like a mobile Silicon Valley, if I may be so mm -hmm. bold as to say that. Um, so Toto Health was selected by Startup Sauna last year uh, to join their program. And so I did meet them. They're focusing on maternal health care uh, and child mortality. The solutions differ. So you can have, you know, 20 different startups or pilot programs on, focusing on maternal health, and they'll all be under that topic, but they're not all doing the same thing. So it ranges. It can range from the monitoring, as I mentioned earlier, to reminders, to information services, you know, sometimes as simple as reminding mothers that it's time to vaccinate your child. Um, may I take a moment then to share a, a really cool invention in this space? Please uh, do. Of course. Okay. It's basically this guy, Benson Malwa. W-A-M-A-L-W-A, -A -A -A, and I'll provide the links. So Dr. Benson Wamalwa of uh, Nairobi University, I think, uh, in Kenya, has invented, it's, a simple, it's an invented a solution rather than invented a technology, where it's a simple barcode reader using an app on a smartphone, except that it not only reminds the mums that it's time to bring the kids in for the next dose of vaccination, but because he knows that many uh, times, now this is where in-depth knowledge of how things really work at the grassroots level, makes a difference when you're designing a service or a solution is that he knows that many times the reason why mums miss appointments or miss completing the vaccination program is due to the, the time it takes to get to the nearest clinic, the cost of getting 
to the nearest clinic because, you know, you're taking a bus or you're taking a motorcycle taxi or whatever, and all of those shillings matter. Uh, and taking her away from some kind of an income-generating activity, whether she's working mm -hmm. the land to grow the tomatoes, to sell them, whatever it is. So what it does is it also rewards mums with bonus points, you know. So it almost acts like a loyalty card, like you'd have at the supermarket, which then gives you discounts when you're shopping or whatever. You know, what's, what's, what's interesting as you, as you talk about that is that M Health, the role that it plays in, in Africa, in the places in Africa that you're talking about, uh, the, the roles could be similar in the United States. However, in, in the African context that you mentioned, it really is a necessity, whereas in the United States, it's more of a convenience. It's... No, it's more, it's, it's a lifeline. It's the last mile of delivery. It's not even the case as it is in India, where there is still a certain amount of healthcare infrastructure through the government and whatever. And, you know, I'm sure you all have your neighborhood Indian doctor. Um, and from uh, Africa, a lot of uh, medical tourism, or rather say because... Uh, doctors aren't available because healthcare isn't available and there may only be a hospital in the big city. There's a lot of people who even go to India for like cancer care or larger operations. It's you, all of Nairobi may have, and I'm making meaning I'm pulling this data out of my hat, it's as an example, um, but all of Nairobi may have only one MRI machine to give you context of the lack of infrastructure. Yeah. So yeah. It, that's why, uh, and I will follow up with a link to the GSMA M Health case. They're tracking all these pilots and these programs. And I looked it up just before coming on the call. There was about 1,750 different pilots and solutions. I'd love to know what your... Uh, impressions are of the survival rate of this large number of of startups that you know obviously there are many entrepreneurs who are who are uh, entering this this uh, m health field, but it being so new and and the fact that startups have you know uh, their funding is unsure sort of in the in the best of situations i'm i 'm curious what the uh, uh, the possibility is for success for for these many uh, entrepreneurial endeavors that you're seeing. Okay, I'd like to clarify that probably of the 1,700 apps that the GSMA or the solutions that the GSMA is tracking, I'm thinking that it's going to be a minority of them are uh, startups by entrepreneurs or ventures. Um, those tend, these are what I call M pilots, which are mostly mobile for development uh, initiatives, uh, donor funded or grant funded. So their future, very honestly, we have yet to see something scale significantly in the uh, top down mobile for development arena. 
ironically, that's the best funded space. They've got the money, they've got the grants, they've got pilots running all over the place doing different things. But because they don't take, tend to take the user-centered approach and they rarely design, they design, most of these solutions are designed in the isolation of, I don't know, developers sitting somewhere going, oh, I know what we really need to do is this cool thing to save poor African mothers. Most of them get the funding because their initial grants are raised under the aegis of, you know, international development or helping uh, uh, the underprivileged, but don't really become sustainable. Now, from the startups, um, because any reasonably viable startup these days, at least in the key centers, like I mentioned, Lagos and Accra and uh, Nairobi, because there are now numerous hubs and incubators and accelerators and uh, the, the ecosystem for startups is being nurtured, if a startup is even reasonably viable, and they get into one of these programs, more likely than not, they will be nurtured into uh, viability. So it's still early days. Nothing's gone viral as far as I know, but again, I could be wrong because these things are coming out every day. So, you know, I might not have my uh, the latest information, but I know that for in the example of uh, Toto Health, their first avatar, they were focused on health, they were doing something different, but after, because the basic concept was attractive, after having been through MLab, which is a World Bank initiated, I guess it's an incubator, I don't know the right wording, but a support system in Nairobi, and then through the startup sauna here in Finland, They've evolved into something more viable. And most recently, they just picked up either it was another award or a grant that helps them take things further. So with the startups, we'll see what happens. Uh, an, analogy, an, an analogy would be agriculture-based startups, which took a few years. They looked like they were sputtering, but now uh, you hear of iCow and uh, M-Farm really um, uh, stabilizing and becoming sustainable and scaling. So if these healthcare startups follow the same kind of path, you know, they will be the good ones, the viable ones, the ones that pivot and evolve and respond to the needs in terms of their business model and the service, I'd say I'd see them scaling. But on the other hand, the social enterprise coming in from the outside, uh, top-down development-oriented ones, they stumble. And I have yet to see anything scale. And I would love to be proven wrong. You know, if one of your listeners would like to send something in, right. say, here it is, I'd like to be proven wrong. But there's no... There's no user-centeredness going on there. So uh, coming back to, like, now 
Dr. Vammalwa's invention. It was, it, it was an innovation. The pilot phase was funded by a grant because it was uh, viable, but it's scaling and it's growing, you know. It, it increased the uptake of vaccination services from 55% to 95%. We, we can see this scaling, you know. It'll probably be picked up either by the government or by a healthcare program of some sort, and it will scale. Healthcare in these markets can't afford to be private sector insurance driven to the degree that it is in the United States. I don't know if I'm saying something which is blasphemous or which is heresy, because I am sitting in Finland, you know, and the Nordics are famous for state-supported healthcare. So I'm not, I, I don't know if I'm risking anything by stepping into any um, ideologies here, but from the very pragmatic point of view, uh, these are public goods. You know, too much of the population lives on too little for these things to be, ever to be completely privatized. Uh, so I, I thought it was very interesting how you mentioned that there, there are a lot of bl blended companies. So it's not strictly entrepreneurial and it's not strictly governmental. It's, it's more cooperative. Why is that more common in Africa than it is here in the United States when it's almost always one or the other? I would say you would be surprised to notice that there is a lot of there are a lot of social enterprises even in the United States. They may not be called that, but there's actually a registration, a business registration uh category uh between an LLC and a five three zero, you know, C charity, registered charity. There is actually a category called social enterprises. There is something I wanted to add of the third cluster, and that's the business opportunity space that you were referring to. So it may not emerge right now from the startups unless the startups are acquired by the telcos. But what's happening, and especially in East Africa, and actually even in West Africa, is that the telcos are rapidly evolving way beyond the mandate that you would see in the United States or even in Europe. They're starting MVNOs with banks. They're offering uh, savings facilities. They're uh, looking at remittances. You know, mobile money is a big thing, but with that, uh, the telcos are also moving into things like micro-insurance. They're moving into security and now into healthcare. So, and that is a pure profit play. Niti, thank you so much for joining us on the show today to talk about M Health in Africa. If listeners want to learn more, you have a Twitter handle they can follow. If you'd like to know more and keep on top of what's happening in Africa, then follow my African news timeline, hand-curated, hand-selected uh, news bits on enterprise, innovation, startups, entrepreneurs at prepaid underscore Africa. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. 
We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O dot com. So that's it for episode 101 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>